normally flowers from sort of late July through to October and goes to about two and a half, three feet high and clump forms, it does not run. Hello, hello, my gardening friends, and welcome to episode 13 from Pot and Cloche Garden Podcasts. I'm Joff Elphick, a gardener from Gloucestershire in England, and today I've jumped into the car and travelled an hour up the road to the Malvern Showground, where the Malvern Plant and Garden Fair is taking place. Uh, it's a slightly toned-down version of the regular autumn show, but still with plenty to see and do. You can get your plant fix from some of the country's best nurseries and specialist growers, as well as visit a wide range of food and craft suppliers. There's an open-air theatre hosted by Mark Diacono, which has laid on events for most of the day, and the crowds are being entertained by floral designer Jonathan Mosley, Carol Klein and James Alexander Sinclair to name a few. This episode is dedicated to my lovely, intelligent and amazing school friend of 40 years, Andrew, a king gardener and fellow Vizsla owner who has just lost a rather rapid encounter with cancer. In these socially distanced times, make every effort to keep in touch with those you value and those you love you just never know how important they are until they've gone now talking of valued friends my most excellent friend jeff carr makes his final appearance in the podcast having up sticks and moved to shropshire we discuss plant staking and talk about his simple and cost-effective solution to this often time-consuming and expensive garden task. Before we start, let me quickly slip in a mention for my lovely sponsor, My Window Box, who supply a wide range of period style and modern window boxes in aluminium and steel with drop-in or freestanding troughs to match. Take some time to have a look at their website. Go to mywindowbox.com and bring the garden to your window. My first guest is Ray Rowe from Sunray Plants of Devon. In his big floppy hat, Ray immediately caught my attention and his interesting selection of that unusual genus of plants, the Restios, prompted me to have a chat and learn more. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. We're at the Malvern Show and do you know what? I've seen something on your stand, Restios. Now, I haven't been to South Africa. I haven't been to Kirsten Bosch. <laughs> well, that's all right, because some of them don't come from there. It's well, there you go. I, I've learned something straight away. Yeah. So, what can you tell me about them? I have absolutely no knowledge about well, them. I think they're a super plant for the future because they are evergreen. They are drought-proof once planted in the ground. They're, because they're evergreen, they give a, a feed and protection to insects in the winter. They are also uh, low-maintenance, so you only go in them once and thin them, out to the, uh, thin them out through taking the old stuff out once a year after the main frost. Uh, so I think they've got a lot of things going for them for a modern garden because non-invasive as well. So that means you can plant them with your other plants. They're also a good thing in smaller gardens for filtering and acting as a barrier between other your neighbours. 
It gives you discretion. Because you're thinning them at your own discretion, you can make them as thick or as thin as you wish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I see, I see a sign. It says 360 days attractive. So there's some interest all well, year round. Yes, that's right. They, are, they carry the flower of bracts and the fluorescences for all of the year. But the fact that they're evergreen and give you a lovely movement, a liquefaction that's only probably comparable in grasses. Uh, but they give them to a height from a few feet up to ones that can get 16 feet. Ah, right, OK. So it depends on the variety you buy, the size you wish. And any special soil, any special conditions? No, they, they pretty much grow in anything. Most of the varieties will grow in any soil. It's the care of them to initially start them away. And then you've got them for 20 to 40 years, depending on how you look after and where you've sighted them. And I see they're sort of clump forming. Can people split them if they want to? You can in a container. Because they are drought-proof, they go right down with their roots, so you cannot dig as deep. So in the ground, no. There's only one chap in 38 years I've been selling them that's managed to get a split off. But in a container, of course, you can cut them in half, and you can cut all quarters and repot them, so you have more. Yes, and do they set seed? No. Well, that's not true. If you have male and female of them and you get lucky, you can have seed. But as a rule, people are not putting the right ones together, so no, no seeding around. Yeah, Okay. I see the other thing you specialise in. Ray, uh, uh, see, um, Sempervivums, yes. Yes, we've been growing those and hybridising. We've bred over 450 varieties, of which we internationally always have in the top 10. And we've actually come first in 2019 with Devil's Touch. <laughs> oh, right. well, that's fantastic. Um, I mean, I should think we all tend to know what they require, but generally sort of a, a, well, a, anyway, a dry condition. Anything at all. No, that's a mistake. Think of them like a baby. It doesn't matter how much water comes, but it mustn't stay around the bottom. <laughs> okay, so yes. Devon is the second wettest county in England, and we grow them all outside. 40,000 a year, and in the seed form, the same number, and in the cutting form, the same number. Yes, I mean, you've got a huge number of varieties here. How many different... Well, here today, I generally turn at the smaller shows or compromise shows like this, I've brought about 100, 120 varieties. But it varies throughout the year. If you go to very big shows, I can bring two, three hundred varieties at a time. Well, thank you, Ray. I think that gives me a whole new range of bomb-proof plants that I'm going to try in the future. Next on my visit was a national and international charity, Plant Life, that is working hard to raise the profile of wildflowers, plants and fungi and to celebrate their beauty and importantly to protect their future. Andrew, their representative, told me why they were so worthy of your support. We're the only conservation charity in the UK that's dedicated to preserving and protecting our native wildflowers and fungi. Out of our 20,000 species of wildflowers and fungi, one in five is currently at risk of becoming extinct. So the work that we do, because we're only a small organisation, I think there are only 60 people thereabouts that actually work in plant life. Uh, We work with other organisations like the National Trust, the Woodland Trust, the local uh, wildlife trusts, uh, local authorities, RSPB, and we give our expert help and advice as to how best to manage their estate for the benefit of the wildflower and fungi. For instance, we've been working with a lot of uh, local authorities recently in helping them to, uh, or training them, to mow slightly different. So the roadside verges you'll probably notice this year are far more colourful than they have been in previous years. Partly that's down to lockdown as well, but partly, or a lot of that is down to us and the advice we've given um, in training and teaching the local authorities just to do things a little bit differently. I think Dorset County Council have saved something in the region of £100,000 by 
mowing their verges in the way that we uh, have advised them to do so. And that, the result of that is you get far more wildflowers. So when you're driving to work, you've got a bit of a de-stress before you get there and de-stress when you're going home in your car because you see all these beautiful wildflowers. Brucey bonuses are uh, pollinators have also got fueling stations to stop off at because our pollinators have grown up with our wildflowers so it's vitally important we've got wildflower meadows and little pockets of wildflowers all over for the pollinators to actually fuel up on and then they're providing us with a lot of the food we eat so 30% of the food we eat is down to pollinators so it's all interlinked with wildflowers. Now I have noticed this year that uh, I mean it seems to be that road verges are almost the last stronghold for some things I'm sure that's not strictly true but you know it, it it'd be interesting to know what sort of area they took up in the country do you know? Well uh, I do roughly yes surprising you should ask if all the local authorities planted or allowed the roadside verges to uh, blossom with wildflowers we reckon there'd be some in the region of 400 million sorry 400 billion extra wildflowers in the uk that's somewhat equivalent to something like half a million acres of wildflower meadow that's the size roughly of the lake district national park so that's the sort of area you'd be looking at how can people get involved if they should wish to we would love people to come and uh, join Plant Life uh, because without help and support, we can't continue with doing the work we do. There've been some great company with people like Monty Don, Alan Titchmarsh, Rachel Denton, or very active members of Plant Life. Or go on the website and look what we do, and hopefully join us on the website. And what are the advantages of joining? What will people see in return themselves? Okay. Well, when people join, you get uh, a welcome pack from Plant Life that's got a wonderful wildflower identification guide so if you're going for a walk in the countryside you see a wildflower this is color coded um, you see a blue flower and you don't know what it is look at the blue section you find the wildflower that uh, you're looking at and it not only tells you what the flower's name is but it also tells you the best sort of habitat for that flower you also get a guide to growing your own wildflower meadow in your own garden doesn't matter how big or how small I've had a, a farmer's wife come to speak to me today. They've got acres of land. And I've had uh, a young couple who've got a brand new build, uh, got a pocket-sized garden. They want to start a wildflower meadow too, so it doesn't matter what size. And you also get our Plant Life magazine that comes to you three times a year, which shows you some of the work we're doing all over the country to help protect our wildflowers. Can people get involved in a practical way? Yes, they can. I mean, we, we do have projects where... Um, we would probably be linking in with people like the, the local Woodland Trust or people like that uh, when we're doing projects and they can go and volunteer. Uh, but we're not sort of doing projects all the time. If people want to volunteer and do more hands-on work, uh, then people like the Woodland Trust or the, the local Wildlife Trust are more hands-on. We more of the help and advice type of role when it comes to uh, um, the, the work we do. Yeah, now I'm very interested to see you also look after fungi. We do, indeed, yeah. I mean, they, they seem to me to be, in some ways, indicators of the health of an well, ecosystem. I mean, the thing is with fungi as well, um, I mean, we don't, we don't see them all year round, do we, until sort of autumn time, a lot of them. Um, and a lot of them are in our woodlands. Um, and, I mean, I'm, I'm going on to talk about different things now because uh, I work for a, ch a charity called the Woodland Trust as well. The woodlands that we have are, do you know trees actually communicate to each other? Um, if we have what we will call it the mother tree, 
And if there is a sapling that's come from that mother tree and the sapling's not thriving, the mother tree will send more sugars down to the sapling um, and help that sapling to thrive. And all the fungi is sort of intrinsically linked with all the, the, uh, the, the flora that we have. Um, so yeah, as, as we look after, if we get the land right, it's right for wildflowers, it's right for the fungi too. So we, we need to get the soil right for, for those things, for both, for both of them to thrive. It's no different to planting a tree. If you put the right tree in the wrong location, it won't thrive. It's got to be the right tree, right location, and it will thrive. And it's exactly the same with wildflowers. A mistake a lot of people make with wildflowers is their gardens are too nu uh, nutrient rich. Wildflowers like poor soil. So people often set out with good intentions to grow a wildflower meadow, but fail because they perhaps don't take the mowings away, they leave the mowings there, and of course the, all that happens then is the grass rots down and provides nutrients, which is great if you, know, you want a nutrient-rich garden, but not good if you're a wildflower. So uh, my advice would be if you want that, I mean, in our plant life guide, it's, and it's online as well, you can see how to grow your own wildflower meadow. Um, and you need to be taking all the clippings away so you leave no nutrients or as few nutrients as possible on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, for those that can't get here today or tomorrow to see you, I assume you have a website? We do indeed, yeah. yeah. Just Plant Life. You just put Plant Life in, it'll, it'll come up, plantlife.org. Uh, are you on social media? Uh, yeah, we're on Twitter and Facebook and all, all those sort of things as well, yeah. Well, Andrew, I hope you have a successful weekend. I just before I got here, I saw you were signing somebody up. I assume so. Uh, I good luck. Yeah, a lot of interest. Yeah, so great. Yeah. Nice Thank to meet you. you. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much. Next, and virtually taking centre stage in the arena, were Hardy's cottage garden plants from Whitchurch in Hampshire. They can boast 25 years of showing at Chelsea, 22 gold medals, and all celebrated in a book which they released in 2017. It's always good to talk to them. They always have a great range of interesting plants and often something that's unique to them as our lingerie-focused chat confirms. Yes, really. I've bumped into old friend of the show, Rob Hardy. Rob, how are you? I'm very well indeed, yeah. The last time we met was the Garden Press event in uh, Islington. I know, we were just on the on the very cusp of lockdown, weren't we? We were indeed, yeah. We were already doing the old elbow touch yes, then days. We were, we were. Now, here you are, Malvern Showground. First or second show of the year? It's our second one. We did uh, one at Beaver Castle last oh, yeah. weekend, yeah. Um, which was really well received. And then this looks to be uh, going the same way. The way the showground's been laid out, the effort that three counties have put in, Diewalt and all the team here, has been absolutely brilliant. And the reaction we've had for the first hour and a half this morning where we've got the early bird tickets in, they're just glad to be out and finding, you know, being able to catch up and talk to growers again. Do you know what? I don't know what the time is now, but I've already seen people leaving. I think they got the early bird ticket and they're off. No, no, they've just gone to take the plants back to the car. Some people had to go and take those back home, come back again, because they haven't got enough room in the car to get more plants in. <laughs> oh dear, now, you've got all your plants laid out and there's a stunning plant in front of me. And now I've been writing about anemones this week, but I certainly didn't mention this one. You missed out. This is one that Rosie, uh, we discovered on the nursery about six years ago. And it's called an enemy frilly knickers. And it just looks like uh, the colour you used to have on the old frilly knickers. So Rosie named it. It's nothing to do with me. All I know is frick uh, knickers drawers keeps emptying very quickly. Um, but we've still got quite a few around at the moment. Yeah, it's stunning. I mean, it, it, I, shoot, I know they're in pots, but do they stay f a little bit shorter than your regular Japanese anemone? Right. 
it isn't a Japanese name. It's crossed with one. The original, one of its parents is a woodland spring one, which gives you the purple on the back. So it's one that likes part shade and a nice humus-rich soil. Normally flowers from sort of late July through to October and goes to about two and a half, three feet high. And clump forms, it does not run. It's a clump former. Now, a few other plants you've got on here. Of course, you've got, I'm going to call it Simsifuga. I'm wrong, aren't I? Uh, 20 years out. <laughs> I know, go on, remind me. It's Actia. Actia, thank Jamie you. Jamie Compton did a thesis at Reading about 20 years ago, and uh, he actually had to change the whole group to Actia. But yeah, we've got two varieties. We've got one called Pink Spike, which has got a lovely pink flower to it, a pink tinge to it. The scent on it is absolutely stunning. Really sweet scent. What is outstanding? You've got these pink or white spires but you've got these almost black leaves haven't you yes the foliage is there from about april onwards they will grow up to about six feet high but the foliage just stay about three feet so you've got a wonderful backdrop to put other plants in front of it again it's another one of these plants part shade is ideal and good humus rich soil don't let it dry out now this plant i've been i've seen before and i've been rather impressed with it the little purple pom-pom over there yes successor um this one is called Frosted Pearls. It looks like a lilac scabious, and it's out at this time of year, uh, and that's its height. And the bees and insects absolutely love it, but it's only just started flowering. That's exactly what I've spotted about it before. The bees just swarm towards it. Well, there's one on it now. Exactly. Yeah, there's one on it now, just yeah. to prove the point. Yeah. Um, it clumps up really well. It will make big clumps, but it just suddenly sent these heads up. Um, and then you've got a beautiful lilac-y flower on top. Now, right next to you, there's a Physocarpus, but it's not Diablo. It's, it's what, what's that one called? It's this, la- one's, this one's Lady in Red, which we actually launched in about 2006, 2007 at Chelsea. It's bred by John Tute, who originally bred Diablo, but this one's only half the height with a pale pink flower on it. Once it's finished flowering, hard prune it, the new growth that comes up is next year's flowers and it will come up beautiful colour on it and it just has a sort of a, a lighter colour when the new leaf comes out then it matures to the darker colour. So you can take it back quite hard? Yes, yeah, yeah we come back 18 inches, 2 feet from the ground when it's flowered and by the time you get to the autumn it's back up to full height again and those are next year's flowering. Well Rob, it's been lovely to see you here. I hope you have a great day. It's certainly great weather. I'm sure the yeah. show will soon fill up. So uh, good luck. I look forward to 2021. Maybe some normality? We'll be there somewhere. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you, Rob. Always a pleasure talking to you. Do take a look at the Hardy's website, hardysplants.co.uk, where you can browse through a huge range of plants they offer, as well as look at the new workshops and talks they've got planned and lined up for 2021, starting in March. Now, for this episode, my old gardening chum, Jeff Carr, met me in his garden where we discussed a common issue that we all have to deal with at various times throughout the year. I asked what he was up to wading about in a sea of greenery. I'm busy staking some plants and the annual task of staking plants is something you either love or you hate. I've got a love-hate relationship with it. (laughs) I enjoy doing it because it's a part of the seasonal um the the seasonal momentum of a garden it's one of those things that you have to do every year and it marks a certain time of year and you know that by when you're starting to stake the the herbaceous plants that 
in not much time a fabulous display is going to be on show i agree now i i love staking i also hate staking i love staking when i've thought about it in advance and i'm doing it in time i hate staking when i've left it too late yeah. and i'm trying to make a silk purse out of a pig's ear exactly and uh it's one of those jobs that uh over the years uh it's as you say you you love it or you you hate it and or both and i've over the years either made or bought a whole range of plant supports and for one reason or another none of them has really been satisfactory um the old pea stick ones they work really well um but they take a long time they take ages to put in and you have to uh, store them uh, or find them or go and buy them and uh, although the plants grow through them and they t and they they tend to disappear so you can't see them they're they're a bit of a faff yeah yeah and the metal ones that i've used over the years have either been really flimsy and they bend and if they hit a stone which you you get a lot in the cotswolds um they don't go in evenly um so the metal ones i found have never really been satisfactory even the the, the strong metal ones you can buy uh, they tend to be a bit fiddly and they're not quick and easy to put in so so what's the solution the solution is i thought if i can't buy the ones that i like i'm going to design some for myself ah. so i spent a long time looking at why the ones i bought didn't work and I've come up with a design which I've had made by a local steel fabricator. And it looks pretty much like, uh, if you imagine um, a rib cage with a, uh, a spinal column going down. Um, and uh, it's just some uh, five mil metal rod. Is that what they call rebar? Or, no, it's not no, rebar, it's is it? It's almost rebar, but it's not quite. It yes. hasn't got the knobbly bits on for yeah. rebar. Um, and there's there's two ribs um, and uh, they both form a third of a circle so when you want to support a plant you just push it onto the plant yeah. put the leaves and the stems inside and just push it down ah. now Jeff's using his foot and like you would on a on a spade on on the lower rib for and that's one it. yeah Done. and uh, and he's actually put it around some dahlias. I see. And you repeat that then with the other two to exactly. complete the circle. Exactly. That's yeah. it. Um, and because they've only got one rod that goes into the ground, unlike a lot of the ones that you buy have got two, yes. there's no need to get them uh, balanced or equal. Um, often when you've got a, one with uh, two legs, one leg will go in fine and the other leg hits a stone and it doesn't work. So just having one point makes it really easy. Um, and some plants only need one just to hold it hold it up, but some need two and some need three. But as you can see, it took about two seconds to put that in. Yeah, that's fantastic. And they're in a sort of an unfinished steel. So you've got that Corton steel effect where they, they've rusted, so they fit in really well. Yeah. And you just can't see you them. You can't see them. Once the plant has grown around in a couple of weeks' time, they just disappear. And then at the end of the year, when you want to... Um, take them away you just pull you just pull it out of the ground and that's it yeah that's, job job done that's great um did you ever cost them uh they cost two pounds each what really yeah Did that include the chap doing it for you yes that yeah really? i had i had 50 made <laughs> okay <laughs> i had 50 of them made no, uh, obviously there's uh, economy and scale if i'd wanted three made it probably would have cost 10 pounds each yeah um so i ordered 50 um and 
uh, I've used them this year for the first time and what used to take me a whole day to stake a, a big border it took me an hour <laughs> to do the whole lot yeah well I'm gonna have to get a photo of that if I may of course unless you've got it patented <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh... well I don't know I might be selling them who yeah, knows yeah because um, I mean I I think they're great but I would do because I had them I designed them <laughs> yes <laughs> but they do work they're quick they're simple and they're effective Thanks so much, Jeff. It's been great fun discussing tools of our trade with you over the episodes. Good luck in Pastors New. And if ever you want to come back, there's always room for you on the podcast. That's it. Once again, thank you to my sponsor, mywinderbox.com. Thank you to friend of the show, Selena, who is currently building a vegetable garden and who listens on her commute to her London office or sometimes from her home in Italy. And thank you to you for listening once again to the end. Goodbye. And in the meantime, may your secateurs be well honed, your box free of blight and your frilly knickers sufficiently supported to give everyone a colourful display until the colder weather takes its toll. I'll see you next time.